Now, a few years ago, I was in India on business. And I want to show you a picture taken in India. <laughs> now, let me ask you, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? It's quite a cruel laugh, actually. It could be a few things. But hands up who thought, Richard really can lift up the Taj Mahal. No one. Okay. Now, who thinks it gives a slightly false picture? Okay. Well, it's true. I could never lift up the Taj Mahal. As you know, it is built entirely of white marble. It took 23 years to complete. It employed 20,000 workers and it took 1,000 elephants to transport all the stones. And that is a true picture of the Taj Mahal. Back in the 15th century, the people of Israel had been rescued by God rescued from slavery in Egypt. And because God loved them, and because God loves us, he has given us a command. And here's what that command is. It is to have a true picture of God. And listen, it is central to how you live your life. Now we find this in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 2, sorry 20, I should know that, verses 4 to 6. Exodus chapter 20 and verses 4 to 6, and it's page number 78. Exodus 20 and verses 4 to 6, page number 778. And it's the second of the Ten Commandments. And there are words spoken by God himself. Now notice what God says here. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, if you recall from two weeks ago, you might be thinking, doesn't this sound a bit similar to the first commandment? Well, if you look at verse 1, you remember on Mount Sinai, God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. But if you look carefully, you'll notice it is not a duplication. It is different. And it's different in this sense. The first commandment, you'll notice, prohibits the worship of false gods. The second commandment here bans the worship of the one true and living God by the use of images. And so, here's the point of the second commandment, is this. We are to worship the correct God in the correct way. 
William Temple, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, defined worship very well. And here's what he said. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of minds with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. Now let me ask you this. When you think about worship, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing. Now for many of us, it's about what style of music we like. Whether it's drums, or guitars, or organs, or tambourines, or bagpipes, or whatever. And there is quite a range. From the Gators' homecoming tour, all the way to Hillsong's Australia. Okay, now thankfully, our text isn't speaking about that. You see, when we worship God in the right way, it's not primarily about our style of worship. Worshipping God in the right way is about our view of who we worship. Our view of God. Is our picture of the one true and living God the picture that he himself has supplied us with? Or has our picture of God become distorted in some way? Maybe even going back years from unbelieving RE teachers to eccentrics on the edge of the Christian church, or by something else. Well, there are three things to observe here about what it means to worship the one true God in the right way. And firstly, it means to worship the God of creation. One of the recent blockbusters to hit America is March of the Penguins. And for those of you who like to go to Edinburgh Zoo, to watch the penguins doing the penguin parade. And of course that includes adults as well as children. You'll be glad to know it's coming to the UK in December. Now March of the Penguins is a documentary filmed by a four-man crew in Antarctica. And for many Christians, it is simply a reminder that behind all of the sheer wonder of creation, there is a creator. And you'll notice, here next is chapter 20, You worship God in the right way when you worship him as the God of creation. Now, there is a progression here, so let's take a look. Number one, God is our maker. If you cast your eye at verse four, it says this. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, get this. And speaking about heaven and earth, God wants to remind us of something central here. And here's what that is. Wherever you look, he says, there is only one God. The God who is our maker. And someone who came to realise that is Professor Paul Davis. Now, Professor Paul Davis was Professor of Theoretical Physics at the University of Adelaide. And he was once sceptical about the idea of a creator. But listen to this. After a lifetime of scientific research, here's what he said. Through my scientific work, 
I have come to believe more and more strongly that the physical universe is put together with an ingenuity so astonishing, listen, that I cannot accept it merely as a brute fact. And he continues, I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate, an accident of history, an incidental blip in the great cosmic drama. And now if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and here we find the accounts of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you cast your eye down to verse 26, what do we find? We find that God created us in his own image. Listen, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so number one, God is our maker. Number two, you were created to praise God. Think about that. And that's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 102. He says this, Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Starting in January next year, we are launching a new series in Charlotte Chapel called 40 Days of Purpose. So let me tell you what's going to happen. Over seven weekends and in our fellowship groups, we'll be looking together at why we are here on this planet Earth and what it means to be the church, a distinctive community. And catch this, on the final weekend, we're going to finish it off in style with a celebration and a big posh meal somewhere. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Thank you. Now the heart of it all is understanding this. You were created to praise God with the whole of your life, impacting your world for Christ. And that's what worship means. It means service. And listen, when you and I understand that and let it sink into the core of our being, we'll never feel insignificant again. Why? Because it proves your worth. You see, when you worship the God of creation, you live with a sense of purpose. The hymn writer Frances Ridley Havergal captured this well when she penned these words, Take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. And that takes us to the third point in our progression here. Number three, God is to be praised in a worthy manner. Verse 4 says this, if you look down, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Okay. Listen to what God is telling us here. He is reminding us that he alone is the creator of this vast universe with its billions of galaxies and stars. God made it all. And as we saw, we are made in God's image. And now here's the point. When we try to make an image of God as a means of worship, we reverse 
the image. Alistair Begg, a former assistant pastor in this church, writes helpfully in his book, Pathway to Freedom. Since all things were created by God and are subject to him, it makes no sense at all to think of fashioning anything that could ever represent the creator of the universe. And he continues, When we set aside this commandment by tolerating images and worship, our understanding of God is inevitably distorted. And that's why Paul says to his listeners in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. So in other words, God is to be praised in a worthy manner. And that's the first thing to notice here. Worshipping God in the right way means to worship the gods of creation. And secondly, it means to worship the gods of infinity. Now, there are some things that we often wish were simply infinite, never-ending. Here's just a few of them. Holidays. Yes? Weekends. Our annual pay rise. Birthday presents. Any presents. And our skill at Sudoku. Now, notice why God has given us the second... <laughs> I think you played it. Notice why God has given us the second commandment. It's because he is, he is infinite. And you simply can't capture God in an image. And in verse 5, if you look down, you'll see God's righteous zeal for our true worship and loyalty. Why? Because he loves us. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now notice here, this is not God's word to the children. Okay? You see, God never holds someone responsible for the sins of another. And we're told that in Ezekiel 18 verse 20. Instead, it is God's word to the parents. It's about children imitating their parents' sin. Hence the importance of setting a godly example. So let me give you four reasons why God forbids idols in worship. Now the first has to do with limiting. Now God's instructions to Israel against making images, listen, was because God is limitless and images are confining. It's a bit like trying to blot out the sun and putting a 40 watt bulb in its place. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, God said this to the people of Israel. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol. You didn't see anything, God said. And since God is limitless, an image limits and denies this. That's the first reason. The second is obscuring. Take the example of Aaron in Exodus chapter 32. Now if you recall, Moses was a long time in coming down the mountain. And so the people of Israel, they became impatient. Now if you remember, what did Aaron do? Well, he melted down their jewellery. Remember? And he made a golden bull out of it. A symbol 
of power. But notice what he was really doing. He was masking God. For how could that bull ever possibly communicate information about God's justice, his omniscience, his moral excellence, his eternal power, and his love? And then there's a matter of projection. And I'm sure you've seen it on holiday. When you walk down the street, you can get a caricature drawn. And if you are really brave, and you can sit still for long enough, you may even have had one done. And if you have, bring it in and let us see it. We'll put it on the PowerPoint. Now in that caricature, a person's distinctive characteristics are projected back onto the picture that is being drawn. Now here's the point. You and I have been created in the image of God. Out of all creation, humankind is unique in this. But notice, it's also true that God is not like man. Isaiah 55 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But here's what happens. Through the delusion of idolatry, we can begin to project back our own weaknesses onto the idol. And lastly, controlling. J. John comments in his book called Ten, The attraction of idols is not that they are gods. It is that we know they are not gods. Idols offer the possibility to men and women of making their own controllable gods. One they can deal with on their terms. So let me ask you, why does God forbid idols in worship? Answer, it's because he is transcendent, utterly holy, and he cannot possibly be controlled. Now, maybe you're sitting thinking what I thought. This is one morning. I am home free. I mean, I have never made an image or an idol. I just don't have one. Is anyone thinking that? There's a few nods there. Okay. But there is actually more to this commandment. And it's this. The prohibition against making material images also forbids dreaming up mental images. And there is a telltale phrase. And here's how it goes. I like to think of God as blank. I like to think of God as a heavenly father. I like to think of God as forgiveness. I like to think of God as an artist. And so on. And the fact is, God is any one of these things. And all of these things. But listen, the problem is this. When a person thinks of God in this way, it's often coupled with a conscious or unconscious denial of another characteristic of God. For example, I don't like to think of God as a judge. But I like to think of God as a loving father. You see how it works? And so we begin to fashion God after our own ideas. And we become just like those who worship material gods. You see, we can be just as limiting, just as obscuring, just as projecting, and just as controlling through our imagination. 
And that is why God in his love tells us, worshipping him in the right way means to worship the God of infinity. So let's take one example. William Carey. Now William Carey was a missionary in India back in the 19th century. And he is often called the father of modern missions. Here's what he famously said, and it showed his big view of God. Listen to this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. You see, he worshipped the God of infinity. I'm sure William Carey would have sung that hymn with great gusto. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. So if you recall, firstly, we saw that when you worship the God of creation, remember, you live with a sense of purpose. And now secondly, we find this, when you worship the God of infinity, you live with a sense of awe. And we now come to the very heart of what it means to worship the one true God in the right way. And here it is. It means to worship the God of grace. And when you do, you live with a sense of thankfulness. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was lying on a beach in Cyprus reading books. And it doesn't get much better and one book I read was called The Heavenly Man. The Heavenly Man. Now it's a true story, and it gives an amazing account of a Christian named Brother Yun from China. Now when he became a Christian, it was during the Cultural Revolution. And so at that time, Bibles could not be found. But eventually he got one. And here's what Brother Yun said. Listen to this. I clutched my new Bible to my heart. And fell down on my knees. I thanked God again and again. I fully trusted that the words in the Bible were God's words to me. Were God's words to me. Even when I slept, I laid it on my chest. I devoured its teachings like a hungry child. Now here's the reason why Brother Young was so, th- so thankful. God in his grace has revealed who he is. And there are four things to notice about God's self-revelation. Number one, it brings illumination. And there are two ways that God has brought illumination. First is to what we call general revelation. You see, God has revealed something of who he is in our moral conscience. That is internally and also externally in creation. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And secondly, God has brought illumination through what we call special revelation. And that is through his written word, the Bible. And listen, we cannot do without the biblical revelation of Almighty God. In opposition to atheism, the Bible proclaims God. In opposition to polytheism, that is many gods, It emphasizes one God. In opposition to pantheism, which identifies God with nature, it declares the separateness of God from creation. In opposition to materialism, it reveals the spirituality of God and man. And in opposition to deism, 
which perceives God as distant and unconcerned. It declares that God the creator is also God the sustainer. The primacy of God's word. So number one, revelation comes from God. It brings illumination. Number two, revelation identifies our need. And that is regeneration. One day Jesus met a man named Nicodemus. Someone who was outwardly quite religious, but who didn't yet know God personally. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Listen to this. Here's what Jesus said. You must be born again. And that is our greatest need. We have a course at this church called Christianity Explored. And it looks at what it is to be a Christian. And it starts this Monday. And if you're investigating Christianity, I would highly recommend that to you. And number three, revelation guides our life. It brings direction. Dr. Sidlow Baxter is a former pastor of Charlotte Chapel. And he once wrote a book called Does God Still Guide? Listen to what he says. It's very insightful. If there is one thing more than another today, which misled nations, leaders and people need, and many ache to find, it is moral and spiritual guidance. That guidance which comes only through divine revelation and regeneration. That is through the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. You see, whether you're looking for guidance on how to prioritise, how to treat people at work, how to handle your money, thinking about marriage, use of your time, your attitudes and reactions, every aspect of living is covered in the pages of the Bible. As the psalmist could write, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Now here's what I would strongly recommend. Set aside a time each day in the morning and find a place where you will not be distracted. I go into the vestry and I lock the door so no one can get in. Go through a study guide and read the Bible every day and pray that you will live for God that day. And number four, lastly, Revelation leads to gratitude. It brings adoration. Now I'm sure you'll know if you go shopping in Prince's Street that Christmas is coming. Well, at Christmas time, as Christians, we focus on how God has supremely revealed himself to us. And it's in his Son, the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Colossians chapter 1 says, He that is Christ is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So let's stop and reflect on that afresh this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son, left heaven's splendor to reveal what God is like. And he came to die on a cross and rise again So we could be reconciled with our creator God. And listen, it was the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. Let me quote from Sidlow Baxter once more. Here's what what Sidlow Baxter said. If God incarnate would wear that jagged crown and hang on that gory cross impaled by iron spikes and endure the torture of that fearful agony for our our sakes, then oh how God must love us. 
You see, when something happens in this fallen and broken world that I can't fully explain, I turn my face once again to the cross. And I see God's overwhelming love for us. And I can echo the words of Robert Murray McShane. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And so in conclusion this morning, we have looked at what it means to worship God in the right way. It means to worship the God of creation. It means to worship the God of infinity. And it means to worship the God of grace. And at the heart of it all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with John's vision from the book of Revelation. John's vision. One day the entire creation will worship Jesus Christ. And John writes this. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What a God and what a Saviour we worship. Let us pray.